we can't not now touch on uh, the Westminster Menswear Archive, which is one of the things that you were really excited about having having you in for today. Uh, so, I mean, ha- ha- tell us about how that started and, and what your thought process behind that was and what you were looking to achieve with it. So the archive started, uh, like I was saying earlier, because students weren't seeing real garments mm-hmm. and thinking about sustainability. If you're trying to cut a trench coat, but you haven't got one in front of you, it's impossible. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're but trying to imagine this thing in your head about what a trench coat is. Yeah. You need to see one to say, well, actually, I like this trench coat from Burberry, but I'm going to make it longer, shorter, different fabric. How am I going to alter it? You know, those archetypal yeah. garments. Um, and we got some internal funding. And at the beginning, it um, actually we did some research recently. It was going to be just a collection of alumni garments from students that had passed from the university. Okay. Then we thought it's just general menswear, women's wear. Then I looked at the prices to buy women's wear from Kerry Taylor Auction House and thought we might be able to afford about three pieces of Chanel if we're lucky. Yeah, so expensive. <laughs> so our money would go a lot further if we did menswear. And then as I looked into menswear at the beginning, and obviously I was inspired by Massey Austin and his archive, yeah. I suddenly realised that menswear's completely been almost overlooked within other collections of dress. Um, so if you go to the V&A Museum uh, or Bath uh, Fashion Museum, mm. menswear maybe makes up 20% of the collection. And what they have got in the collection is, is very much elite designers. Yeah. Um, and I really wanted for this to be a mixture of um, designer garments, utilitarian garments, military garments, functional garments, occupational garments, so that I think there's a danger if you're setting up an archive, what you're doing is setting up, um, you could be setting up for students something that they see, oh, that is what you value. And as a teacher, I'm really careful that as much as possible, students don't know what my aesthetic taste is and what I like. So we're not, they're not trying to please yeah. me because they think, oh, he'll like that. Yeah. They're trying to understand who they are and what their aesthetic is and how that could have value. And I think one of the things, again, that was really interesting was hearing Paul Harvey speak from CP Company the other year and said when he was at St. Martin's, everyone in his class was people like Riff Atosbeck and they were very much doing fashion. He wanted to do motorcycle clothes and he realised there wasn't a place for that. That wasn't what they were meant to be doing. And so he found it very hard to be the designer he should be because that wasn't valued. And what the archive's done is it means if you want to design sportswear, if you want to design utilitarian wear, outdoor wear, you can see it's valued because those objects are in the same space as Alexander Queen or Comme de Garçon or anyone else, and they're they're of equal value as an outcome. And, you know, all those garments are designed garments. They still need someone to know about fabric, pattern, cutting, make, construction. Um, So I think that's what the archive's done, and... It's, it's radically changed teaching, not only at our university, but across the UK. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Is is this now a widespread thing for the universities in the UK? So we, we um, next week, take on an intern from Salford Uni, um, a budding young uh, female designer. Um, and it's interesting to know that, it's like you say, if you push down a certain route yeah. and you, you wanted to do motorcycle wear, but you were pushed down a female dress wear, you know, luxury route. Um, it, it's interesting to know that there's options now for the young, younger generation to actually decide on what they want to do. And is that possible now? Completely. And I've seen yeah. that elsewhere. So we had uh, 
two students I remember really clearly came to an open day five years ago and they said oh can we and they'd come over from Ireland said can we come to the archive and it, it wasn't open that time I said yes sure they'd heard about it and they said we just want to study here because of the archive because you got all these amazing pieces by yeah, yeah. Massimo Osti Stone Island whoever and I thought fantastic they're being drawn here not by me my teaching or whatever or what they think the facilities are mm. they're being drawn here by an archive to understand that studying those objects will help them to become better designers in the future. Yeah. Um, and the archives open to students across the UK. So I was at uh, a university in the north and I could see the students' work. They'd come to the archive and they were doing that. So you're learning from the best, aren't you? You yeah. must do it. You you, you know, <laughs> when you're going to factories and manufacturing, you're seeing what can they do? What What's their production? How can they make a better product for you? Yeah. And what this allows students to do is say, oh, I understand that's how they've resolved that issue about the lining or the zip or how these pockets work. Yep. So you're actually learning from the best rather than I've got to make a trench coat. I've no idea how they work and trying to design it right from scratch. Yeah, well, from what I did was um, started to buy, because I was always interested in um, military pieces and camo as a kid. I always have been, always wanted to join the army. Always think I'm, you know, an action hero. But um, so when when we naturally, I started to lean towards that way with what we were designing for the brand, and it was more about function. Um, it was more about what the garments did, you know. And then we were getting into the world of technical fabrics, so we put a bit of that in there, um, and that's heavily heavily influenced, um, you know, the way we've gone with Seven L really, mm-hmm. um, with that. Military, military style. Theme, so yeah. what I started doing is buying old military vintage pieces, but like from way back and one one offs and two offs. Um, I had a great supplier in Canada that he, he would ask like what I was looking for, and and then I buy them, and then actually getting that garment and putting it on, um, the fit was great. You know, the pockets were in the right places because they'd spent years and years of of people telling them that pocket doesn't go there because I can't get this in or I can't get you know my gun out <laughs> yeah you know so th- so they've been designed for purpose yeah so I was like right so that makes per- perfect sense to me and I didn't obviously know about menswear archive at the time or how people design stuff because I wasn't a designer I'm not trained as a designer but that's the route I took started buying old vintage pieces and I ended up with a quite a big collection and lost it all in the fire so when the fire happened um I had like ones and twos off of amazing pieces and I'd only put it in there for the weekend because we were having the carpet fitted in the basement and um, it all went up in smoke. No. Yeah, devastated, I know. And, and I've, I've reluctantly tried to start buying again because that was like that cost a lot of money, um, as Andrew will be aware of. But the good thing I'd say about that, because that's one of the things we were thinking about, mm. is we're trying not to get unique things. We're getting things that were produced because, you know, we can find another one of that... M65 jacket, whatever. Yeah, it, it might cost us a lot of money, or, do you know what I mean? But yeah. they're not one-offs. Yeah. Um, and also, I think if it's in the masses as well, it's it's sellable and yeah. commercial these days. So the Breach Parker that we did came from like an old M65 style coat. And I said, well, that'd be great with the hood on it. You yeah. know, instead of like the stand-up collar, it was like, well, let's put a hood on it. Let's make it a, a Manchester lad's jacket, you know. Yeah. That, that was uh, the Detonator Parker and Breach Parker that we did, and they just flew out. You know, so I think sometimes you can be a bit too clever and try and create something that's too out there and it might sell to 10% of your customers. Yeah. And the archetype type pieces will just sell all day. 
I mean, the interesting thing we've been doing at the moment, not very successfully, but we're trying, is trying to say to students, how much creativity do we need? Mm. Do we just need 10%? We don't need 100%. We know that because that's too much. Yep. But what is it, if you were looking at this garment, what would you do to change it to become something that would sit comfortably in terms of your design aesthetic yep. and someone would buy how much? We did a project where they could only change garments by 15%. And they got really hung up by what does that mean? Is that the colour, the fit? And I was like, I don't know, you tell me. Is it the fabric? So that, And the idea was we could, at the end of the project, clearly understand which garment they'd looked at, but also yeah. there was the difference and it had become something new. And they really struggled because I think they've been so used to being told that you're a creative person, your value is purely through creativity, just being the most full-on version of that. But it's not as well, it's commercial as well, isn't it? As, as a designer, as they get into doing design... It's going to be the commercial element of it. If you want to put 50 zips on a jacket, that's fine. But it's going to cost about three grand to make the jacket with the yep. fabrics and everything else. So I, I was learning with Chris Vandrill, like I say, and, and I was saying, can we do that? Can we do that? And then when you added it all up, it was like, that's very expensive. And he said, yeah, well, because you put a zip there, you put a zip here, you put that in there, you put three inside zips in the pockets. And I was like, oh, yeah, you know, <laughs> these things add up. I like zips. So it's it's like you say, it's, it's finding that balance between an old archetype jacket and being too creative with yeah. it where you're just putting things on places that you know it's for an aesthetic reason not a functional reason and uh, and bringing it back down to changing it enough so that it's like the aesthetic of your brand or whatever we're doing but it's affordable it looks great it's functional and that's what we're trying to achieve here you know and that's what we're trying to do so um it's interesting you say that it's like 10 percent or 15 percent well i think I, th- I, d- I use two analogies one is singing you know x, for x factor used to be well, an analogy I'd use, and, and it's that thing about people sometimes on those shows think actually it's just trying to do all those tricks and be the most powerful version of actually, and sometimes as a performer and a singer, it's about control of all those things and not doing those things yeah. that actually makes you have a, you know, um, a emotional response to them. Yeah. And the other one I use is food, and just because you can put everything on a pizza doesn't make it a better pizza. Yeah. And, and, and actually knowing if you can make a really good cheese base cheese and tomato pizza yeah that's it mm. um and i think that's a slower progress we've made in terms of understanding how little you need to do as a designer rather than how much mm. but then i suppose as a designer from the mcqueen days you have to design something as well that's like the magpie of the collection yeah but i think it's you know i think the really interesting about the so we did an exhibition in 2019, Invisible Men, yeah. and we had a whole section on McQueen's menswear. And it was primarily because when there was the McQueen exhibition in the B&A, there was no menswear in that exhibition, which I, to this day I find astounding considering his background, Savile Row. He learnt yeah. cut and tailor from Savile Row. All of that informed his women's wear, not one piece of menswear in that whole exhibition. Wow. Um, so we decided to highlight that. So we've got it from all his early shows, from Dante, Joan, all those really full-on theatrical shows. You look at the clothes, they look like classic Savile Row, only slightly altered. And I think it's interesting, the perception is through the presentation, but take that away and look at the actual garments. Yeah. And actually they're really desirable and wearable. And that's why they're in the archive, because we can say to students, that's actually McQueen, the person you think is really full out, full-on out there. Yeah. It's just a beautifully cut button suit yeah have you noticed in the archive there's more options these days than there were but less quality than there were you know back in the day of like the 70s 80s I suppose when men 
didn't, you know, they just used to go and get a suit and that's probably what they wore for the rest of their life. Whereas today there's so many options. I think the real place we've noticed that is in industrial clothing. So all those industries that were privatised. So we've got British rail uniforms from the 40s onwards, which are in beautiful walls, fully lined, beautifully cut. And as those industries get privatised, everything becomes nylon and bigger and not fitting and one size fits all. Uh, even with the own university, we've got a uh, security guards uniform from the 90s. The university used to send our security guards to Savile Row to have a jacket tailored for them. Now I think they have to buy their own jacket and it's just off the peg jacket. So yeah. I think it's interesting to see what roles we value in society fundamentally changes how those people dress. Yeah, and, uh, and, and I'm sure they were made locally as well, UK made. Is that ever going to come back, do you think? I think some of that's come back. I mean, one of the garments I find fascinating in the archive, we've got uh, a London 2012 uh, jacket. We've got one from the Olympics, one from the Paralympics, and they're for the game makers. And on the lining and on the buttons, all over, there's it's like a uh, pinstripe jacket, and it's got London Eye, uh, Houses of Parliament, Big Ben... And it says this has been designed by the Olympic Committee in partnership with Next, and it's celebrating British heritage and London. Yeah. And then inside, underneath that, it says "Made in China." <laughs> and I just think, yeah, where was that decision process where someone said, "This is what we're doing," and someone said, "We're only making a thousand or whatever. Can't we make these in the UK?" Of course. What I don't get though is that, you know, I, I'm a big fan of making in the UK. We made, um, like I was saying, the Detonator Parker with. Uh, that was solely made in the northwest of England, you know. So we used the fabric from uh, British Millerain. Uh, it was made by Cookson and Clegg in Blackburn, and we used HD wool from Yorkshire. And all the trims and everything came from um, the UK as well. I think the main, well, the main zipper was probably, I think, it was Swiss or. But anyway, um, and actually, the cost of that when we had lower minimums was probably the same as we're paying in China now. Even though, like, the, the, say, the Chinese, you know, we've we've tried to... I mean, I've, I've been speaking to uh, Alexander Manufacturing as well in Scotland, and they're looking at, you know, heavily investing in seam taping. Basically, have a look at that and start prototyping seam tape waterproof jackets. Um, I mean, I'm a big fan of ja- Japanese fabrics, you know, um, just because of the way they make them, they're stunning. And then we were going to try and manufacture a, a waterproof jacket again in, in the UK and, and try and bring that back in, because by the time we've manufactured in China and then we've got the shipping costs... Uh, if your program's a little late behind because it's a smaller brand, we're always chasing that. You know, we've not got massive budgets to, you know, sort of buy three years in advance. So we're always like hand to mouth. Um, so what, like if our shipping costs, you know, it's going to take six weeks to get the product. We have to put it on a plane, um, but then we have to split it. So then we have got like 20% coming over on a plane. Uh, the rest, 80% coming over on a boat that takes six weeks. Uh, it costs you five grand that you think, oh, I didn't put that in my budget originally. Then when it gets to the UK, you've got import duty at, you know, at 12% or 13% on top of it. And then you stick VAT on top of it. It's just like, actually, if I just got it in the UK, I could drive a truck up to Scotland, get it and drive back. It's <laughs> <laughs> that simple. And it's frustrating because mm. I think there's very few and far between factories. We use Private White in Manchester that supported us. Um, you know, the old Cooper, Cooper and Stoll brand factory. Yeah. Uh, with Mike Stoll, um, he's been a big fan of the brand. He's really supported us, and 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 they don't have to manufacture for us. You know, they're they're a you know, worldwide brand yeah. themselves. They don't have to take on what we're doing, but they do because we're a Manchester brand trying to making 
the UK. And I think it's really important. And, and for me, it's important with you, Andrew, because the people that, the guys that are coming through your university and things, they're going to change the future of the way the fashion is today, you know, or, or garment making is today. And I think I'd love to see garment making back and make it fashionable again. And I think kids are doing that. If you look at the Instagram, there's some real talent out there that I'm talking to at the moment um, that design their own garments. They're starting to make their own garments. They've got a sewing machine. They're, they're doing. It's becoming more fashionable. And, and that actually, if you see a, a lad at 21 making his own stuff on a, on a sewing machine, th- his Instagram following is huge mm-hmm. because it's going back to, like, the past. <laughs> I, it's like I you said before, the future is looking into the past. And I also think where that's changing, particularly in men's wear, I don't see it as much in women's wear, is those people that get more obsessed actually know about all those factories in the UK and who makes what for who. Yeah. And then, you know, being able to then say to a student, well, actually, you need to be led by the factory. Go to the factory. What are they really good at? Then design the product to use their to skills. Yeah. Don't design something and say, well, you know, this tailoring factory, can you make because there's, you know, piece of swimwear. Yeah. Uh, and again, that started to change through the archive because we've got the garments said, well, this was made by this factory. They're still around. They made this stuff 40 years ago. Or So there's... Because what we were having in education, because everyone thought, well, it's all about doing a runway show and somehow then you get this job that makes you a star. There was a disconnect between the sampling of the one garment and then how that might be produced and the production. I remember a student saying to me only a few years ago, I said, and I always ask them how much fabric is a metre because I'm usually horrified. (laughs) And and they're not thinking (laughs) about markup and price points and whatever. And and the student said, oh, this was quite cheap. This was only £90 a (laughs) metre. Jesus. (laughs) <laughs> I said, shall we just walk that through and say how much this pair of trousers were at retail? Oh, okay, yeah, that is quite expensive. So I think... To put that into perspective for our customers, like the Scholar jacket yeah, um, that I'm really proud of, that's beautiful fabric, that one there, Andrew, just behind you, the grey and the yellow one. So they're, they're Swiss fabrics from Scholar. They're, they're about €30 Euros a metre. Uh, that's our most expensive fabric, and then everything else is, you know, less than that. Um, that puts in perspective. And they're amazing fabrics, aren't they? Yeah, but but, but it, yeah. it is like... And, and, and I suppose another thing we say to students, think about design like Ikea, think about design. They start with the price. There's a chair, it's got to retail for this price. So how do you design that? And then, yeah. the, then the design isn't about the aesthetic design, it's the material, it's the construction. Co- it's all, like you were just talking, and that's why I was smiling when you were saying, well, well by the time I paid the import, and then this has got to... Do you yeah. know what I mean? That's all part of it, the design, because that's like the re- price. It's almost like reverse engineering it. Yeah. You know, so um, what, what I do is I pick a price of where I think we should sit uh, as a brand, you know, against the big boys, because, you know, we're only a small brand, um, and then say, well, if we did a jacket... 900 quid, everybody's going to compare that to this jacket and they'll probably pick this jacket because they know that brand better until we get a, cu- a big customer base. Yeah. So we'll do it for 800 and we'll reverse engineer the jacket. So then you've got to strip that jacket apart, find your fabrics, your zips, uh, the design, everything, and then see what you're left with. You know, and, and the problem for us is that without them mass producing that jacket, we don't get it at a certain price mm. um, at cost that allows us to make it for the retail price. Yeah. So then it's a it's a difficult situation all the time. It's like, you know, do we go to retail with and supported by a retailer that understands our pricing strategy? Mm. You know, times in it by three, times in it by five, whatever. Or do we stay independent as a brand and keep producing this is the this is where I'm at at the moment with the brand. You know, it's whether we stay independent and keep just doing what we're doing because it's 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 value for money for the customer. So if I wanted to make a jacket and times it by two 
you know, to cover the overheads, the design and everything else, and we could afford that as a brand, then great, why not? Yeah. But then everybody frowns at that and says, you can't do that. It's like, why can't you do that? He said, because that jacket should be at least 1250 not 600 You're like, how did you, how'd you get to that value? And then, do you know what I'm saying? Mm. So it, it has been it's a, a learning decision, curve. really. Now, so what, what you know, what you're going to do next? Then, isn't it really? Well, it's yeah, it's what we do next, and and if we can get into a, you know a, a decent couple of retailers in the UK, yeah, that, brilliant, that represent the brand and and that the would be, right ones that would be good enough because all that re- allows people to do then is have another showroom, yeah, that could be um, at Seven Store in Liverpool, or it could be End in Newcastle or, yeah. or wherever that people can just go to to try the gear on. Once they've once they've tried it on and everything, they probably you know shop online again anyway. Yeah. But that's exactly it. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. I think do whatever you want to do. I mean, you know, that's my advice to students. Is I can think of some of the graduates have gone on to do things. Since it's like getting them to understand. As soon as you do, I mean, this is the beauty of the industry, like music industry, I guess. As soon as you do your first thing, you're part of that industry. And if you don't feel you're part of that industry because it tells you there's all these rules that you have to do this, that, and the other. Yeah. And therefore, you've got the power of subverting that. You know, this is what McQueen understood, that by being on the schedule at London Fashion Week, he was changing that even if he had no money. Even if, you know, those first few shows, some of the editors boycotted and just wouldn't even come to the shows. Yeah. He was still changing the industry. And I suppose that's the one thing I learned, is that actually there's a real power in doing exactly what you think you should be doing, rather than thinking, I should do what everyone else tells me to do. Yeah, because I started off doing not what everybody else does. And I suppose that comes from not being in the industry. Do you know what I mean? Just coming in and doing what I thought we should do. And that comes from like the old day, you know, engineering project, whenever it be. But I just thought, why do people do that? (laughs) And sort of throw, you know, um, and it's very easy though to get caught up into seasons, um, especially if you're going to wholesale and then the buyers. um, And then it's like I say, I went to Paris Fashion Week and we had our, um, collection displayed and this isn't taking anything away from the buyers at all but not not they didn't really know what they were looking at yeah. and the first question they always ask is how many followers have you got on instagram and i was like what um like the you know the products in front of you yeah but how many followers have you got on instagram and i'd be like well at the time before it got hacked uh mm. 13 000, which isn't a lot but it's very organic it's very you know they're not paid ads they're not paying for followers we're we're, we're sort of organically just collecting followers and then people are buying the products and coming back and our existing customers really saw us through this last year mm. you know the, the 12 months of not having any stock we've survived because of that because of that existing customer um but the first thing was everybody came up to us and said how many followers you got on instagram mm. didn't even look at the product and i just thought does is this somewhere that the brand wants to sit in mm-hmm. You know, so they're basically, they're almost, if you were to get an influencer wearing the brand and all of a sudden you were getting all these followers, but they, were, they weren't the same, you know, quality of follower that you've got now, some of these, some of these people would be more interested in, in numbers rather than, rather than quality. Yeah, it, it, just, it doesn't sit right with me. Like we, can go, we, can, we can make things as cheap as chips as best and look, make them look great yeah. and, and they fall apart within a week of washing them. Like we can we can follow that trend. It's not a problem, but it what doesn't do sit well with me at all. What do you think about that? Andrew? Well, the weird thing about that. So, uh, in 2018, yeah, we moved. So most, you know, uh, undergraduate courses, uh, the students to a collection, and that collection is shown in June, um, usually at Graduate Fashion Week, yeah. and we have our own space. So, and the space is normally used for London Fashion Week designer shows there. And in 2018, I changed our final year curriculum so that they could finish their collection in February and show at London Fashion Week in February. 
And I did that for a while. I thought, right, give the students what they think the ultimate thing is. Yeah. And actually, they'll work up to this point in February, and then they'll realise, actually, collections don't finish with the show. They begin, if you're lucky, with the show. Because yep. then you've got production and, you know, yep. pre-season and everything else. And it was it was great for that. It really got them to be liberated from that moment um, and then think about, actually, what's the production version that someone might buy of this garment? Um, but one of the things then became really interesting, suddenly we were on the schedule for London Fashion Week and all these international people saw us as another brand, not as a university, um, which meant I also had to inv uh, invent a fake assistant called Emma, and Emma dealt with everyone's emails. Um, <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Brilliant. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> and I, 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 and I've, I borrowed, got one, I've got one of them. <laughs> I, borrow, I borrowed Emma for someone else that in the <laughs> 90s... <laughs> A designer told me it was Emma that always forgot to put the checks in the envelopes <laughs> and got the blame. Um, but anyway, Emma was suddenly getting all these emails from people saying, I've got 1.5 million followers on Instagram. Yeah. And you'd look at it, it was just, I'm not exaggerating, just endless photos of people drinking coffee. And I was thinking, but I, 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 why would you, A, why would you follow this person? It has no relevance to fashion. And yet somehow there's 1.5 million people. Mm. And, you know, from that, I was far more impressed, like you were saying, people with two or 3,000 people that I respected, yeah. yep. journalists, photographers, whatever, then suddenly someone's got 1.5 million. Mm. But I could also understand that thing about, oh, but somehow that might have some sort of meaning. And I think that's all meaningless, isn't it? Because mm. it's about building real relationships at last rather than 1.0 million that are meaningless. It, yeah, that's it goes it. back to that emotional connection. Like you with were saying as well, with obviously how it feels when you come into a, a store and actually physically try something on, it kind of contradicts a little bit about what we were saying about social me media. But with your followers, and because of the size of the brand, you were able, as, a, as, a, as an owner, as, as a founder of a brand, to have a relationship with so many of your followers and, and people yep. that, that were going were gonna to buy and invest in the brand. Well, it's, it's hugely important. I think we'll be like that forever. Yeah. I'm not saying that, I'll be able to talk to every single person that, you know, buys something from us. But I think it's massively important for an evolving brand like us to, that's not going to get everything right all the time. Yeah. Um, as we trial and error our, our way through the beginnings of the brand, you know, I mean, what we're now probably three years in from me launching the brand in AW20. Yeah. First time we've ever had a, a website. First time we ever had an Instagram. First collection, proper collection that went out. Uh -huh. We weren't messing about with it. You know, we went and then suddenly, obviously, we hit the pandemic. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah. We hit the fire and then... It's been very important to talk to the customer because they give you the feedback. Because they understand what we're trying to achieve as a brand. They're not nailing us if we get something wrong. Yeah. They're coming back to us and saying, oh, this stitch here didn't work or the pocket ripped or... So that's enabled us then to go back and revise that jacket mm -hmm. and, you know... Um, put extra bar tacks on or whatever to strengthen pockets or change the fabric because it ripped too easily or whatever, which has been really great because you're getting that feedback directly back because they, you know, I might wear one of my jackets, you know, because I've got so many of them yep. once a week. Mm -hmm. These guys wear them every day yep. and they walk the dog in them, they go running in them, they'll go out in them. So they're getting like a lot, a lot of wear. Yep. Like you do, you did with your old type jackets, your old archetype jackets, yeah, yeah. used to wear them to death. Yeah, well, these absolutely. guys are wearing them to death. You know, we've had guys that have had the um, the Arctic Down jackets now for four years and they've mm -hmm. like, they come back in and like, they're like brand new. Well, that's it. And because of the quality, again, it's all yeah, going back cause, over. Yeah, because it, it lasts, but it's still really important for us to get that customer feedback as we're, we're still evolving all the time. Yeah. Um, 
we we had a, a go on some t-shirts and we got um it was an australian cotton yeah, really nice but um and we pre-washed it and everything but the customer just didn't like them it's that type of thing yeah. you know, we'd put them out there and we got loads of feedback saying they weren't as good as the previous ones and then we moved our production to, to portugal um we looked at organic cottons and then we got those and then people are like loving those at the moment mm-hmm. so why change it i'm i'm from that trying to get out of that seasonal thing if a t-shirt works keep it <laughs> keep it in the range do it a different color next year put a different graphic on it but keep it the same shape and we 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 did we do concentrate a lot on shape body um and how it hangs on cuz men are not all models, you know, with a six pack, let's face it. Yeah. You know, it's probably ten percent of the world like that, five percent of the world like that. Um men are men, you know, so we, we created our um collections to, to fit you know, men. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's how we have evolved it really. And it goes you know, it goes back to what Andrew was saying before about it actually being about the body. I also think that thing about social media, what I use it for is like you were saying, that interaction because mm. During our first exhibition in 2019, I suddenly realised what I was interested in with the audience. I suddenly saw the people I'd hoped we'd be engaging in the space. And I thought, actually, that's why I'm doing it. It's This is luring you into this space to then me have a conversation with you about why do you wear what you wear, what are you interested in. And I think from that point on, anything I've done is about, well, how does that get me closer to those people? Yep. Because like we were saying earlier, I haven't got, I've got hardly any knowledge about what I'm doing but maybe I've got a platform to reach those people that have, which can then build that knowledge in terms of menswear and what, what we're doing. So I think the more that social media allows me to make those connections, the better the outcomes are in terms of the archive, the research we're doing, the knowledge we're building. Um, and I think that's for any designer to be able to use it, not as a selling point, but an interaction. And I think the more you do that in a way that's very open and honest, you just build better relationships, don't you? Yeah, and that's what we we've just been transparent, you know, um, throughout the whole thing. We, I've always been really honest about what we're trying to achieve, what we're doing, where it's made, uh, the problems we've had, uh, and just you know, because there's no point in lying to people, you know. So it's just I think that's worked for us as well, being honest and open. And you know, we had the warehouse fire. There's not, there's not a lot you can say when you you've yeah. just just lost all your stock, and it's taken us twelve months months to get back. Um, so yeah, we are where we are. We're dropping, you know, this month with the new sweats and hoodies and everything, and then every single month up to Christmas now, we'll be dropping new product. And this is exciting. So definitely check out the website as well uh, because there's some there's some really exciting bits been dropping very very soon. Yeah, and it's like I say, we're a small we're a small brand. So you know, some people have been moaning at me about we're saying things come out and then they don't come out. Yeah, there's numerous reasons for that. You yeah. know, you, you're always planning to to bring something out from a marketing point of view. But then if your ship gets stopped stopped in, in a canal somewhere yeah, <laughs> uh, and it gets delayed, it gets delayed. But we're always trying our very best. I'm always cracking the whip with the team to make sure that when we say we're going to deliver stuff, we do, but sometimes it just slips, just the way it is. Yeah. Mike, I know you've got a question you'd like to ask Andrew about the Westminster Archive. I mean, you spoke about the Japanese influence as well before of the beauty of mistakes and the beauty of leaving an item or a garment unfinished. And I think it was that wabi-sabi principle, isn't it? Um, do you have uh, a high percentage in your archive of pieces that are damaged to tell a story or uh, unfinished um, that you've actively put in mistakes into there purely for communication reasons and yeah. that beauty? 
Yeah, I think the the important thing about the archive, it's not a collection of the best design or the best garments from each designer. So it's not telling the history of menswear, whatever that is. It's about design garments or objects that would be really useful for another designer to study, to actually use as inspiration in terms of cut make production. Yeah. And therefore, we've got things that brands won't like. I remember one designer from brand came in and said, why the hell have you got that in here? And I went, because <laughs> you wouldn't want that to represent your brand. But actually, there's loads in here in terms of technical make that's really useful. Um, and things that are damaged or falling apart. And again, that's really good because also they're about lived garments. They're yeah, not. Yeah. I think we so often see only the garment as that thing on the runway that's apparently perfection, that's yeah. never been worn. Yeah. And like you were saying earlier... Those things that have been worn to death, you suddenly understand wear their yeah. wear and tear, their fail points, what hasn't worked, what has worked, so you could design a better garment. And I kind of, kind of always put it almost like car design. You want to learn from building on people's previous product to understand how do I build a better product. Um, and therefore you do need things that have been worn out. So all the army military stuff, you can suddenly understand why that works or not, because it's designed for particular functions. Yeah. And it, it's robust and it works. Amazing. So with regard to the archive then, the, the actual um, masks and stuff, do you photograph everything? Is it all photographed? The masks were, weren't they? Huh? The masks were, I've seen a... Yeah, the masks. We did on our exhibition. That was interesting because when we're photographing stuff for the, cat the catalogue, yeah. it is as it is. Do you know what I mean? When we were doing that exhibition, we were thinking about the fact we were consuming everything online. So they're digital assets only and they've been photoshopped. In terms of they've been made to be more seductive because our engagement with those objects at the time, quite a lot of them were like tech packs, 3D tech packs. You weren't seeing the actual object because it hadn't been made, it was being made somewhere else. Yeah. And so I thought that was an interesting language. But for the actual archive catalogue, which is online, uh, it is just standard photos using a style shoot industry machine of the front and the back of every garment. Yeah. Um, and they're really good quality, high res, so you can... Hopefully, if you're looking at online catalogue, start to understand which garments might interest you before you then come to see the archive itself. Brilliant. Okay, Jamie, one last question you'd like to ask Professor Andrew Groves before we bring this amazing interview to an end. So the question is, uh, where do you see 7L sat as a brand? What do you do you see 7L stand for? You, we, we talk a lot, we've talked a lot about, you know, keeping that message uh, through ups and downs, you know, having that backbone to the sort of brand and it's interesting from your point of view where you see yours sat i suppose when i first encountered your brand when um chris contacted me and came to the archive it yeah. was about quality of make design cut functionality it was all those things that made it really exciting to say you know for a student i think one of the things people think the archive's full of old garments it's about contemporary things of now how are people resolving those problems about what we wear and how we wear and what we're wearing things for how are they resolving those things now and actually being able to see those first samples from you were, was really inspiring for us as tutors but also for students to say oh this zip's doing this this is material and it's bonded to this fabric and it's doing yep so i think that integrity of them as garments and their functionality and why you might wear them and what they might offer you um I think what's intrinsic then is it's intrinsic now. Mm. Um, and I think that's I think that's also that thing about why brands last is because they do something above and beyond the moment now, which might be a fashion moment about, well, it's this colour or this material, which yeah. is actually 
why you wear things like the jacket I'm wearing today is 10 12 years old yeah because it still works on a level that I'm I'm emotionally engaged with and it's physically doing what I need it to do as a garment yeah yeah um and that's that's where I see 7L great and how did you get into CP anyway uh, what's the the history there did you have you always liked them or I suppose not no my brother used to wear CP a lot right. in Stone Island and you just uh, you I started getting into you it's weird when you're designing yourself as a designer, what you wear or what your your decisions are clouded about. You don't want necessarily people to think about what you're wearing so much. Yeah. So there's certain people, I, I know this at work, no, no, no one said it, not within the department, but other people's expectation of what someone teaching fashion might wear, that isn't what I, I wear. Yeah. But actually it's far more on a functional level. It does all the things I need it to do as a as a as a brand, as a design, mm-hmm. um, which is on a much deeper level than what you might think a fashion object is. And, and did you go, have you been over to see the, um, I'm sure you've been over to see the uh, the Osti archive. Yeah, yeah. it's amazing. Uh, amazing. I mean, the, the, the weird thing is for me, one half, I, don't, I, don't, I haven't told Lorenzo this, I don't think, but one half I was really annoying because I was going, oh, we've got that, we've got that in blue. Well, we've got that in whatever. And I thought, oh, shut up, no one wants to hear that. <laughs> 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 and then the other half blew me away because it's all the prototypes of things that hadn't gone in production the later years with Philips or whatever, which I'd never even seen photos of. Right. And I actually found it exhausting because you were suddenly confronted with lots of things that were really pushing technical functionality at that moment. Yeah. And you're trying to understand what he was doing. And I was like, this is actually exhausting me. There's too much amazing design here to take in. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and also really, you know, I think that thing of an archive, it allowed you to see his process. You, it allowed you to see what was important to him in terms of uh, material, colour. Uh, so it's taking away what you might think is the fashion side, but actually the process side, which is, for me, the really important thing. So you can see pe- how people think. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, because I, I, I'm, you know, people say that he says that he wasn't a designer. You know, I'm very much the same. I'm not a designer, but I know what one, you know, and you sort of, you get a garment, and you start sticking things on it. <laughs> Can you make it a bit like that? Can you make it a bit like this? And, you know, we need it in this colour. And, and I suppose, you know, I've, I've taken a lot of inspiration from him and I'd love to go and see the archive at some point. Like I'd like to come and see the Westminster archive at some point. That'd be amazing. Come to both, because I think, you know, the Westminster was inspired by the Osti archive. Yeah. And also it was a way of changing how we do what we do. So it's, pro- again, it's process-led, isn't it? It's saying some of the answers you might need are here yeah and that's why it's open to anyone anyone can email and come along f- and have a look at the collection yeah I, w- I want it to change how we talk about what we do mm. um so that it becomes uh not hidden it becomes understood so that process is valued well if 7l doesn't work i might be coming to look at the workwear gear anyway because <laughs> i might have to start making workwear gear in china so interestingly as well for, for all the people that are listening to this that just love fashion if they want to come and see see the uh the archive how, how can they do that because that's an important thing to tell people so the, if they go to uh the website which is mensweararchive.com yeah uh we're also on instagram and they can just make an appointment come down um brilliant it helps if you look online and decide oh actually i want to look at this or whatever it is you yep. want to look at, but you know we're open because, like I said earlier, we learn so much from those interactions because people start telling us about things that we've got that we don't know. So yeah. I think 
is, is a really good way of understanding what it is we've got. Brilliant. And, Brilliant. and, and just one more thing now, yeah, yeah. sorry. It, like, I'm, I'm going to ask him while he's here and be really yeah. cheeky. Um, I'd love to do, because what I'd like to do is, you know, everybody knows about the menswear as well, but I want to also promote the unisex side of 7-0. Yep. So the guys look great, but the girls look better. <laughs> That's what I was saying. I think the girls in our oversized coats and everything, we, we had a thing saying it's not just for men, you know. Um, and we used um, Eve Carroll, who's, a, I think... It, you may know Eve, she, she goes to a lot of CP stuff, Stone Island stuff. She's done a lot of work, a lot of brands, but we love her at 7L. Um, I'm actually meeting her this Thursday for a brew and we're, we're talking about the future of her involvement with the brand as well. It'd be great to get her down there and, and some other models and do, a, you know, a, a bit of a relaunch of 7L with menswear, but also with the women's as well. And, and um Wondered whether you'd be like, you know, would you be interested in being part of that? Yeah, that sounds really exciting. Doesn't it? That sounds great. I, I love that way people, and I think it's a very menswear thing, how people react to those garments. Uh, and one of the things that we've got is we're a menswear archive, but actually quite a lot of the things have been worn by women. Yeah, exactly, so I, yeah. So I think it's that. Yeah. Well, last year we had nothing We had nothing to promote because we'd lost it all in the fire. So I just turned around to Mike and said, well, let's put a girl in the coats then. And everybody's like, what? It's a menswear brand. I said, it'd be brilliant because it'd be completely different. Um, and Mike actually introduced me to Eve, who was brilliant at doing what she was doing, what she does. And uh, so we just stuck Eve in a load of menswear gear. And actually, I was like, wow. Amazing, yeah. This is insane. It's yeah, been my lot. best photography Everything. I've done yeah. for a long time uh, because I was so inspired by yeah. it. And by her as a model yeah. and the styling and everything, I was like, wow. This, for the brand, is something that... You know, we need. We really do need to look at, and I think, like, with my mind shift mm-hmm. and the and ladies' mind shift towards sustainable fashion, they're starting to buy better. Like, the, you know, you look at more like the Gorp Core with the Arcteryx stuff. You know, but it's an expensive jacket. Yeah, but they're buying it now. You mm-hmm. know, they're starting to wear it now. They're starting to understand. You know, not saying they're starting to understand, but they're catching on to the more sustainable things than other brands. Let's say the fast fashion brands where they're just chucking things in the in the um, in the bin. Um, and I think it's really important as a 7L as a brand as well, not to just be a men's brand. Yeah. It, it needs to evolve into being a women's brand as well. And, and I just want to say to the audience that it does cost a lot of money to, to change into women's wear. So it's not necessarily we're going into, we might do a, a, a women's down jacket that's more fitted specifically for women, but it's more of a unisex brand where the girls will be wearing the lads' jackets, you know, yeah. because they look insane. Yeah. And, and, and on the website, we're going to start putting um, more you know, size guides in for the girls as well. So it won't be just like men's XL, large, it would be recommended towards right, yeah. women wearing it as well. So this would be an equivalent to like a size 12 or a size 8 or a size 6. You know you know what I'm saying? So we're actually then introducing the girls to be able to buy as well. Yeah, I always think a good jacket's a good jacket. Do you know yeah, what I mean? It's yeah, like yeah. Oh, I mean, th- th- like uh, when we were at the Paris Fashion Show, my daughter turned up, Phoebe, and uh, she's studying fashion now. Right. And she's working for a, pr- a PR company in... Um, in Manchester, doing all their Instagram and everything, and she she really wants to go into fashion, and she's got that. She's just got it, you know what I mean. And she yep. does her own Instagram at the moment. She's an influencer. Well, she turned up to Paris and went, "What is that?" And I was mm-hmm. like, "What?" And she went, "That's insane." She pulled off the blue down Parker. Um, it's, just, it's an amazing blue, yeah, like bright blue. Put it on, rocked it, and said, 
I'm having it. I'm yeah. just walked off. Out, out she's of, not took it off since. Uh, she she just, sleeps in it. She out of out of the show. She just didn't she? She just walked off with it. And uh, I said, Phoebe, and she went, "Oh, I'm sure you'll sell loads of them." And just yeah, like, yeah. walked off. You'll sell more if I've got it on. Yeah. And then started putting it all over Instagram. But actually, she just looked insane on it, and and it yeah. got loads and loads of comments. So well, I was like, you know, why not? Why can't we it. evolve into you know a, a ladies' brand as well and a, and a girls' brand? So, but it has to be a way of doing it. And I mm. think with you know, Andrew on board doing a bit of a, a show, Where, whether it's at the sort of, you know, down at Westminster, at the university or wherever, we could invite clients to go and have a look yeah. and just say that 7L are back from, you know, um, back from the ashes type of thing. And there's our new collection, ZW23, the resurgence system, which is the resurgence of the brand. But a part of that resurgence system is us going into, you know, more unisex where... Um, and then we've got the university students from Salford. We could bring a few of them down. You know, it's all that learning curve about yeah, teaching. Exciting. Um, and I think if we could link into that, that'd be amazing. Yeah, sounds exciting. I'm up for that. There Great. we go. Fantastic. He's done. You've heard it first. Right, well, listen. And, and that is the only reason I wanted Andrew to be on the show. <laughs> <laughs> apart from his sewing skills. <laughs> yeah, apart from his sewing skills, we've now got a fashion event yeah. in London going on. I'll tell you something. It's crazy how, uh, you know, we've heard some amazing... Um, We've heard some great stories today, but the one that I'm going to take the away flies. is the flies. <laughs> it really is. We're right. doing a short story on that. I'm telling you. <laughs> Professor Andrew Groves, thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming down. Thank you for being part of the 7L Off Piece podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. And uh, hopefully there'll be many more to come, and, and hopefully we'll get you on again soon. But yeah, yeah watch this space. Sh- shake your hand, mate. Thank Show you very coming oh, very, oh, oh, very soon. Mic drop. Mic drop. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Time to finish. Cheers, nice. Professor. Andrew Groves with a mic drop. Thank you. Thank you for checking out the podcast. Thanks a lot.